Amen. Let's thank our band, everybody. Um, we stayed on tempo, despite we had some nice bass going on in the basement. I was, I was kind of doing a dual. Should I not do this very much? Um, we'll talk about that later this week, probably, Eric, huh? Um, hello, everybody. Uh, my son turned five years old yesterday. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the, that's kind of a pity thing, because your kids are older than five. The ones that are young gave a whoop, too. But, man, gosh, I feel old. Should I feel old? Is 36 old? Okay. Well, um, a couple of months ago, um, my wife and I decided that we would do a trip to Legoland for Lincoln's birthday. And that's in Ann Arbor. So yesterday was a good day to be in Ann Arbor. Um, Go blue. And... um, Away from the snow, uh, that was pretty great too. But Lincoln has been pumped for weeks for Legoland. Um, well, I've been pumped too, actually. <laughs> to be honest with you, I've wanted to go to Legoland for a while. So, despite the snow apocalypse that apparently hit West Michigan while we were gone, we still decided to go. Um, Friday night was a little spotty, but we got out of Grand Rapids and we were all right. Um, but our plan was to come home Saturday evening because we thought maybe it would pass. So when you plan this stuff like months or weeks, it's like the one time we actually did good planning. (laughs) And then there's this like snowpocalypse thing that is happening. But good old Mother Nature was still having a fit uh, on Saturday. So we decided that Saturday afternoon we'd begin driving home from from Ann Arbor and we'd stop near Lansing to get a Happy Meal at McDonald's because it was still birthday weekend, right? Um... And so we decided that we would also make the call halfway through, uh, in like in East Lansing, if we wanted to drive all the way home last night at like 6, uh, or if we wanted to stay in a hotel near uh, East Lansing. And we landed on, we tipped toward, we went back and forth, but we landed on staying in the hotel because we decided that we value our lives. Um, and so <laughs> we thought it would be Good to stay in a hotel uh, last night. So I'm hot off the press. If there's a stinky smell in the room, it's probably me. Um, from being at Legoland this weekend and then driving back this morning, but I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad to be here kicking with you this morning. Isn't it interesting that we often will have casual conversations about what I just said? I'm glad to be alive. I'm not dead today. Uh, casual conversations about times that maybe our lives might be at risk. We value our lives. Or perhaps we fear death. So sometimes we pay for extra hotel rooms in order to avoid that subject. But we're uncomfortable uh, oftentimes talking about death, aren't we? Would you agree that death is not a very comfortable thing to talk about, especially if you, you talk about your own or somebody that's close to you? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the subject that we're talking about today is death. So welcome to church. Um, Sometimes we pay for an extra night at the hotel to avoid it or avoid being close to it. Sometimes we avoid the thought of it, but death is there. It's present. It touches us all in some way. And the longer you live, the more you realize that death is coming for everybody and and we are going to... Feel what that room of death is like at some point. We have spent uh, a 
close to a full year reading the stories of the life of Jesus through the testimony of Matthew. And we're coming to the end of that journey through Matthew, and it's been a joy for me. I don't know if it's been a joy for you, but just really getting to spend time with that context as we go. And the whole story has been building up to this moment, to, to really what we've been talking about the last um, probably two months or so, which is the last week of Jesus' life uh, before crucifixion and then resurrection. But for a few months now, we've been in that last week of Jesus' life. And Matthew 26, which is where we're going to be today, uh, verse 1 through 13, we're on the Wednesday. It's the Wednesday night, um, before two days before Jesus was crucified. So that's, that's where we're at in the timeline. And in this story, we get to step into the room as Jesus. It's so cool we get an insight into these moments where Jesus and his disciples share a moment that will feel very similar to some of us. Um, and it will also touch on our tendency to want to avoid talking about death. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into uh, the text this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that your word will speak, um, that uh, I believe it's, it's something that is mysteriously still speaking, that you're, it's alive. That these stories are not just stories, that within them comes the power to change lives. And so I pray today, even as we talk about death, that it might be for some um, a day when everything made sense. And that you came into clarity in their mind and in their heart that um, you have the power over death. And we don't even need to be afraid of it. Matter of fact, in some ways, we can sort of celebrate it even though it's hard. So I pray that you'll bless these words. I know you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew 26. Uh, we'll start at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, so remember he was on a mountainside for a large teaching, second largest teaching that he's had, and now they're about to move. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is in two, day, two days away. So that's why we know it's the Wednesday. And the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So he's telling them again that he's going to die. And then it says, verse 3, The chief priests and elders of the people assembled in the palace. So this is a separate group, separate meeting time. Um, the chief priests and the elders uh, of the people. Um, where am I? I read that wrong. Assembled in a palace of the high priest whose name is Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or they, there may be a riot among the people. Um, if you were here back in early October, um, I showed you a mansion of a, one of the Sadducees, one of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. I want to show you that again. It's Caiaphas. It's the person that was just mentioned. This is the house that these uh, religious leaders were meeting in during this time. It was a mansion in the upper city of Jerusalem, so that's where the elite lived. That was the nice part of town. Um, it was a house that had 17 bedrooms and 21 uh, mikvah baths, so essentially like 21 bathrooms. Can you imagine having a house with 17 rooms or 17 bedrooms and, and 21 bathrooms? Like, no way. Especially at that time of the world, goodness gracious. Multiple levels, multiple staircases, mosaic floors. It was a beautiful house in a nice part of town. And during the festival, Jesus does not stay there. 
he does not stay in the nice part of town. Matter of fact, he wouldn't have even been invited because we just read a second ago, right? These people were plotting against Jesus to want to crucify him, to want to see him murdered because his message for the poor, for the oppressed, for the marginalized was a threat to their system. It was a threat to the the temple control that they had had and which in so many ways was corrupt enough for them to have 17 bedroom houses. Not that having a house is bad, but to that extent. So where did Jesus stay? Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. I could have bought alabaster when I was in Jerusalem. I should have. It would have been great for you guys to smell that when you came in. I have no idea what, maybe it doesn't smell that great. I don't know. I've bought myrrh before and tried to burn it. Don't do that. <laughs> you can leave it to the professionals. But anyways, <laughs> so she, uh, I'm interrupting a beautiful story with my jokes. I shouldn't do that. I'm going to restart so that we get it. While Jesus was in Bethany, I'll tell you about that city in a sec. He was in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came to him with a, an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why waste this, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Which actually, when you read that, you're kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Seems like that's a, that's a value of Jesus, right? Is to, to take care of the poor and take care of the oppressed and use resources to do so. Let me talk about that village, though, that this story takes place in. It's called Bethany, as as we read. And during the last week of Jesus's life before crucifixion and then the resurrection, he spent every night in Bethany. He spent every night there. So he would go into the city of Jerusalem, uh, oftentimes have these moments with the religious leaders that are there, and then at night, he'd leave the city and he'd go to Bethany. I can, I can spot where it's at in my head because, praise God, I've been able to be there now. The word Bethany means house of mercy. That's, that's what the name of that city is then, house of mercy. It's a village that's, um, how do I say this? So there's a, a city outside of Jerusalem. And then the, the village of Bethany is like on the outskirts of that. So it's very fringy catch my drift. It's at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> it's, it's away from the action. Um, and most believe that it was actually a leper colony, that that was the place where fringe people went to live. It's where people go to die. Bethany. It's why many of the stories in the Bible in Bethany are stories of death. That happened in that city. And our story mentions Simon the leper. Uh, he, he likely had, he had the disease of, of leprosy, which at that time was an incurable disease. I do wonder, though, if he still had it or if he's one of those that Jesus healed and he just kept the name in order to, like, show that he was healed from it. I don't know. That's kind of a cool thought. But um, the lady that performed this miracle, she is poor, too. So this is a place where people go to die. And it's a poor place to live. It's a very sharp contrast to a 17-bedroom mansion. Jesus sleeps 
in that village those seven nights leading up to, or that week leading up to his crucifixion. They were his people. Hmm. He was not staying in a mansion. He was, he was staying in a village on the outskirts of town where people go to die. It's a place where death is known. Because, I mean, for us, we have the privilege of getting to live in today's world where oftentimes the thing that would have maybe taken our lives way earlier doesn't. I tore my Achilles 15 years ago, and it was close to torn all the way through. And if I had been born 50 years ago, it would have torn all the way through eventually, and I would have never gotten to climb a mountain. I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have gotten to be a dad. It's crazy how blessed we are to live in today's world. I just want to say that. But with that blessing still comes the reality that we're scared to talk about death, aren't we? But in this place, death was known. It's not something that you needed to avoid because it's just right there. The city you live in is known for being a place where people go to die because it's close to you. And Jesus was close to them. I mean, that could be mic drop right there. Jesus was close to the people who were close to death. But the disciples didn't really catch the drift, right? They they were indignant. Why are you using your perfume to, to... Pour it on Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. They're pretty oblivious to the fact that this this woman is poor and she's giving her perfume. (laughs) Why are they even... She is the poor. And yet, she's gifting Jesus this beautiful gesture of kindness. Why Why does she do that? This is a woman, these are a people who've been around death before. Their village knows it all too well. It's just part of life. And I do think that Jesus, this is probably Mary Magdalene, but Jesus probably told these friends of his, about his coming death. He certainly told his disciples his, his 12 disciples, that four different times he told them, that he, and we just read one of, another one of them, right? Four different times Jesus tells his closest followers, hey, I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise. And every time he tells them that, what do they do? They want to avoid it. They want to change the subject. I mean, when Peter, when Jesus tells this to Peter, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Like in Caesarea Philippi. That's, holy moly. Jesus knew his death was necessary and that it was coming. And we're going to read more about that in the coming weeks. But this woman, what does this woman 
Why does she do this in this moment? Jesus goes on to clarify in verse 10. Aware of this, so aware of this meaning aware that they were indignant and uh, didn't appreciate her using her own perfume as a poor person to do what she wants to do to bless Jesus. Uh, Jesus responds this. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. Interesting, he's saying that in this village. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. This sentence is so big here then. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever this this gospel is preached throughout the world, and we're doing it right now, (laughs) what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This woman that did this was from the same village in Bethany where a man named Lazarus, if you've heard that name before, a couple pages back in the book of Matthew where a man named Lazarus was dead and then Jesus resurrected him. Same village, the same area. This is a woman who wept over Lazarus. She would have also seen Jesus weep too. You probably know this maybe, but the shortest verse in the Bible, which I think is so profound, is that Jesus wept. That verse comes as Jesus is on his way to Bethany to heal Lazarus, this person who was a dear friend of his. Even though he knew he was going to give Lazarus his life back, he still wept about it. Doesn't that just say something about the heart of Jesus? So, she would have also seen Jesus step in and call Lazarus out of the tomb to take off his grave clothes. (laughs) So, I think we're reading about a woman who when Jesus says that he's going to die, she believes him. And she not only believes him, she joins him in that moment. She sits with him. She prepares him for it with this gesture of, the perfume. She's preparing him for his crucifixion. But also, I think she probably knew that, that if, she, if he raised Lazarus, that he might be able to raise himself too. And I think that's pretty sweet. That she was, yes, someone that's familiar with death and therefore was just willing to sit with Jesus in that moment. But she also saw what Jesus did in her city before. And I think probably in the weeks to come, we'll see, might be one of the reasons that women showed up the most in the resurrection appearances. And first, this is one of those people. She sits with Jesus in that moment. She didn't deny it. She didn't avoid it. She sits with it. And I also wonder, like I said, if they wondered about Jesus' ability to raise himself from the dead as they saw Lazarus do. And that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but we'll get there in the coming weeks. Have you ever been in one of those rooms? Have you ever been in a room with a grandma, a grandpa, somebody that's got cancer? You name it. Have you ever been in that room before? 
with somebody who is likely going to die? Do you know that, that feeling? How slow time passes? How appropriate silence is? But weirdly, how quickly laughter can happen? Laughter and tears are really close friends, I've found. Have you ever been there before? Oh, you might be there right now. I have. You know I have. I've told you my story, and I'm going to tell you again right now a couple of times. Because it's appropriate today, and it changes your perspective. On Wednesday will be one year since my dad passed. And you celebrate things differently. Um, life is different after you lose somebody that's close to you. And for me, it was my dad. And for many of you, too, you've had the same experience within the last year or two of losing a parent or a loved one. You celebrate things differently. Different thoughts cross your mind even when you're celebrating your son's fifth birthday at Legoland. Death is more real, even in the most beautiful moments. I think about death every day. And you know what? I actually think that's a pretty healthy thing. I don't want to die. I'm not thinking about death in that sense. But it's just more real now. It's more real having sat in those rooms. So when I read a story like this, I go, okay. I see what they were doing. For me, I really wish I could have held my dad's hand. When I went in there and they were trying to keep him alive, I, I asked if I could hold his hand. That would have been my perfume. That would have been my moment to tell him that he's not alone. I'll get to hold my dad's hand again someday. But we sometimes, even with what I just said, it's like, ooh, don't talk about that, Jordan. Like, that's just creepy, weird, strange. I mean, it, it is an indicator that death is foreign to us, right? We were not created for death. We were created for life. So it does make sense that it's strange, right? Or that it feels gross or ridiculous to talk about, but I don't think it is. Because it causes us to appreciate the moment that we get to be alive today. It helps us to realize that we should maybe say the life-giving things to the people that we are around every day that we should. Don't save your words. Speak life today. And honestly, I think it helps us to understand Jesus better and therefore how we should live. He overcame death. He was comfortable about talking about his own death. 
it did stress him out in many ways, and we'll see that in a couple weeks too in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he still faced it with courage and, and knew that he would overcome it. And in many ways, Jesus talking about his death and resurrection before it happened showed that he is God. Many times that he predicted these things. He also took time to affirm this woman's story we've been talking about. In a community that's familiar with death, she was so beautifully present with Jesus when he was about to face his own death, and she gave him something costly and valuable in that moment. In fact, I think that thinking about the end of our lives can actually produce healthy living today. It makes me think I was on a, a webinar a couple years ago, a leadership thing, and the person that was doing the teaching said that all Christians should live to build a eulogy rather than to build a resume. And that really struck me. And that's the question I have for us today as we think about this, is are we living to build a eulogy or to build a resume? A resume is a list of accomplishments that you've made. It's maybe hyping yourself up to present yourself as the best. A eulogy, on the other hand, is a story of people whose lives you've touched over the course of your life. Building a life for a eulogy means aiming to build people up in order to see them become who they were created to be. A resume may impress people, and it may make life easier in many ways. But it's not accomplishments or the extra stuff that leaves a real mark in this life, is it? Jesus stayed with the people in the place where people go to die for the last week of his life. So what does it mean to build a eulogy, a life that will speak of who you were able to bless in this life? I think it means living like that. And I'll remind you of what he said last week. One of of the, I always say it every week, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. But it says this in, in Matthew 25, just the very last story that we looked at. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Those words are quite a bit deeper now and it became apparent to me this week. Who's he talking about with the least of these brothers and sisters? I think he's talking about this village that he went to every night that week called Bethany. The place where people go to die. Another question for us today might be, where's your Bethany? Where are the people and places that you're going in order to see kingdom of heaven come down to earth. And he uses the phrase, 
whatever you've done to the least of these, that's not to mean that there is actually a legitimate value system. Just the ones that we invent, the rankings that we make of people that God doesn't have. Let's live for a eulogy that does the same thing that Jesus says and he takes personally. Let's love the world. Let's love our community. One good way to do that might be to help uh, kids with winter clothes. Or maybe adopting uh, some families that could use a little help to get presents for their kids this Christmas. Or listen in to that little still voice inside of you that says, maybe you need to go out of your way for this person. Let's live for a eulogy. And if you, as I close here, if you, my friend, can still feel the weight of that room with a person you've lost, take hope in the story that we've read today. It's a great example of how Jesus sits with you. He stayed with people who were familiar with death. They were his people. If you're there right now, Jesus is with you. And I can tell you he's with you because we read it in that text, but I can also tell you he's with you because he's been there with me. He's with me right now. As I feel the weight of missing my dad and you feel the weight of missing your person, if you're there right now, you're one of Jesus' people. And he's with you in the midst of your sorrow if you feel that. And if you need a friend to get through this season, especially the holidays, you've got many sitting around you right now. And if you're online and you can't be here today, same thing. You've got many around you that will share that pain with you. And not as ones who don't have hope, but as ones who feel the sting of death right now, but know that the sting of death will be gone. (laughs) Because the crucifixion isn't the end of the story. Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for time and time again in your life on earth, for showing us the way, for being present with us in our pain, for not avoiding it, for not uh, minimize. I mean, you couldn't minimize how broken the world is. It's what you came to, the gap you came to close is that we feel the sting and the stench of death in a million different ways. And in many ways, we're even afraid to talk about it because it's easier just to think that it won't happen. But it will, and with you, we don't need to be afraid of that. Matter of fact, we can think about the purpose that our life is going to have on this earth right now as we breathe the days that you've given us. So I'll end the same way I began, Lord. Thank you for the breath that we were given today. Thank you for the heartbeats that we have. Thank you for the bread that we have to eat 
Thank you for the heat in our homes. May we share those things with those in this world who might be categorized as the least of these. May we follow in your footsteps to go to the Bethany's in this world where people just need someone to sit with them. And may we know if we're there, if we live in Bethany, may we know that you sit with us and that just let that be you are with us in our times of trial. In his name.